You're listening to Country Life with Keith Fahey on Galway Bay FM. Good evening, I'm Keith Fahey and welcome to this week's edition of Country Life. On the show this week, we'll be speaking to Pat Murphy, IFA Deputy, Deputy President Candidate and Stephen Canavan, the Galway IFA Chairman. We'll speak to Eamor McCrum, a pig, pig specialist, uh, giving a review of the Irish pig sector. And we'll also discuss winter feeding, understanding your feed labels and ingredients. And as always, we'll have any farming news from across the county and indeed we'll cover some MART reports, reports also. And if you have any queries or anything you'd like uh, discussed, uh, don't hesitate to give me an email at countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie that's countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie So just looking at some MART reports uh, yesterday's true MART witnessed a solid trade on Monday's cattle sale on the 6th of November yesterday some sample cull cow prices included a 685 kilo Belgian blue cross cow making 1490 or 218 a kilo a 530 kilo Shirley cross cow made 1060 or 2 euro a kilo a 730 kilo Aubrac cow made 1780 or 244 a kilo looking on at some uh, sample heifer prices included a 395 kilo limousine cross heifer made 1100 or 278 a kilo a 470 kilo Charlie cross heifer made 1370 or 291 a kilo 700 kilo Aubrey cross heifer made 1750 or 250 a kilo looking at some sample bullock prices a 575 kilo Aberdeen Angus bullock made 1500 or 261 a kilo 3 Charlie limousine cross bullocks made 1960 or 290 a kilo 390 kilo Charlie made 1200 or 3 euro and 8 cent a kilo looking at some sample heifer waning prices included a 2 80 kilo limousine cross heifer selling for 860 or 3 euro and 7 cent a kilo a 315 kilo limousine cross heifer made 890 or 283 a kilo and looking at some weanling bull prices a 275 kilo Charlie weanling made 890 or 324 a kilo a 300 kilo Charlie cross bullock made 1000 euro or 333 a kilo and a 295 kilo Belgian blue cross bullock made 1040 or 353 a kilo looking at the Loch Ray Mart report um, a smaller sale on offer last Thursday sale lambs average 260 to 3 euro top price of 157 euro for a 53.2 kilo lamb lambs at 36.5 kilo sold for 106 euro 38 kilo sold for 110 38.5 kilo sold for 113 44.8 kilo sold for 126 51.7 kilos sold for 155 better demand on the, uh, the day for cold cows with active agents uh, uh, prices averaging from 120 to 152 and 80.5 kilo cold cow at 118 and 92.5 kilo uh, Cull Yo, sorry, made 137. Cull Rams average 50 to 130. Sample prices are in, um, can be seen online. Uh, cattle, a fine size sale for the special whaling sale last Friday with a 96% clearance achieved. Prices average from 260 to 340 for heifers and 278 to 388 for the bulls. Heifers, heifers, some sample prices for heifers included a Charlie Cross 260 selling for 850 or 323 a kilo. A limousine 280 kilo sold for 860 or 307 a kilo. And then looking at some of the other prices there another one made uh, 315 kilos Charlie Cross made 1180 for a bull weanling and three limousine cross at 265 kilos sold for 910 weanling sales are every Friday evening at 6pm Saturday's cattle sale saw strong numbers on offer with a special entry of in-calf heifers for the special suckler sale which was a great success cold cows were in great demand with this very strong online presence competing against buyers and ringside prices averaged from 170 to 248 the in-calf heifer sale was a super trade and a great success prices averaged 2600 and 50 with the top price of 3150 uh, five star in calf to a roan bull um, 3000 cemental heifer 
the third prize winner in Carrick made 3,000 five star out of Lyle Incaf uh, to Rowan Bull made 2,500 so some excellent prices there indeed from the Lockery Mart looking at the Montbellu Mart cattle sale on Friday gone by a smaller number of offered and offered in the previous week dry cows were a good trade as well as store heifers with a complete clearance in each case smaller entry of store bullocks and wanings compared to the previous week some sample prices for cows included a cemental cross cow at 785 kilos selling for 1490 or 190 kilo one Belgian blue cross cow at 735 sold for 1440 looking on at some, some store heifers there Charlie at 615 kilos sold for 1640 or 267 a kilo another Charlie at 565 kilos sold for 1450 or 257 a kilo looking at some store bullocks uh, one Frisian at 485 kilos selling for 780 euro or 161 a kilo another Frisian at 385 kilo selling for 610 or 158 a kilo waning heifers included a limousine cross 300 kilos selling for 820 or 273 a kilo cattle sales every Friday evening at 6pm gates open at 4pm in person and bidding is online through the Marti app Montpellier Mart sheep sale was on last Saturday a big sale of sheep again this week with more lambs and breeding sheep than in the previous week there was improved trade in the store lamb and lighted lamb factory lambs were also a good trade breeding sheep are also met with a brisk trade stag yos were similar to the previous week some sample prices for lambs included 13 ram lambs at 30 kilos selling for 76 euro 11 euro lambs at 46 kilos selling for 124 some stag yos there 3 yos at 56 kilos selling for 90 10 yos at 70.5 kilos selling for 132 euro uh, the sheep sale is every Saturday at 10am in person and online again with the Marti app and more can be found at www.montbellu.ie Also the Turlockmore Santa Tractor and Truck Christmas Light Run is on Saturday the 2nd of December in the Turlockmore Centre registration from 3.30 uh, leaving at 5pm Tractor Truck Vintage Car Run entry is €20 Euro. Uh, visit from Santa at 3pm for €10 Euro. make your own decorations write your letter in our North Pole Post Office and have a visit with Mrs Claus before going in to see Santa so that's in conjunction with the Turlockmore Hurling Club so the Turlockmore Santa Tractor Run uh tractor and truck run uh, this Christmas uh, on the 2nd of December Turlockmore Centre. Registration at 3.30 leaving at 5pm tractor truck vintage car run um, entry is €20. So that should be a great day there for all members of the family. So first up on Country Life this evening we're delighted of Pat Murphy, uh, candidate for the Deputy President of the IFA and we also have Stephen Canavan, the Galway County Chair of the IFA. So lads you're very welcome on the line. Maybe Pat I might firstly start with you. Um, You're going for the Deputy President role, a big now national role, fair play to you and uh, the best of luck to you. I suppose firstly uh, maybe can you tell us a bit about your role currently with the IFA and maybe why you're going for the, this role. Good evening Keith and thanks for having me on. Um, currently I am the Connacht Regional Chair so I have, my role is to assist and support all the county chairs and their county executives across across the, the province um, previous to that I have been county chair uh, from 2014 to 2018 the reason I'm going for the position is that I think farmers across the country need someone that understands what farm families are going through as a full-time farmer, depending on farming. I know what, what families need. I know what farmers need. I also am a family man with three kids in college. So that gives me a great understanding of the pressures that families are under at the minute. and just trying to make ends meet and... I just want to give those farm families a voice, a voice that understands what they're trying to say and hopefully by understanding what they're trying to say and understanding what they're going through that I'll be able to deliver something for them from an IFA point of view. Stephen, um, I suppose as county chair, how important is it that Galway IFA members go out and get voting? Uh, 
Good evening, Keith. And sure, look, it is absolutely imperative that 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 that, that we get all the votes out uh, in preference to Pat. Like you know, I suppose if I give you a little bit of a background to it, as Pat pointed out, there's over seventy thousand members on the IFA. There's over four thousand of them in Galway. So we're the biggest executive in the country. We have the most branches, and and if Pat can get them out first, and he gets four thousand votes, he's four thousand up immediately. You know, so that's how important it is. Uh, in a nutshell, I suppose. Look, it's different this year, so people don't really have any excuse. It's the first time there's a postal aspect to the boat, so they can either pop down to their branch AGM, which we'd prefer them to do, and and we'd be able to have a chat with them and 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 discuss the issues. Or alternatively, if they can't make it, they can pop it in the post the next day. Okay, very good. Um, I suppose, Pat, maybe what are the main issues maybe you're seeing, you know, coming up nationally? You know, obviously you are the Connacht chair, you are the Connacht chair. Uh, do you see that there's a, a contrast or are the issues very similar, we'll say, compared to here in the West versus nationally, or what are your thoughts on that? The issues are very similar across the country and it's all about incomes at the minute. Uh, we've an absolute horrible year weather-wise, which has put pressure on prices. Um pressure on fodder. We've an early winter, like it's now the first week in, in November and the winter most people have stock in. The winter has started. Unfortunately because of the weather, there's a fear that we may not have enough um, fodder available and I think nationally is that 25% of farmers are short or are tight on silage and, and hay supplies. Um, the tillage has been an absolute disaster as well because of the weather. In a lot of cases it has just been a washout but a salvage operation at best with certainly with the corn and the and the potato crop a lot of losses um, a lot of us still in the field going rotting and that's a big hit on, on all farmers across the country so that coupled with the the drastic drop in in milk prices and in beef prices as well like we're a euro behind our main market in, in Great Britain which is profiteering by the factories to be quite honest about it because what other way would it be the same factories here uh, that are operating across the water in Great Britain but I think that somebody has been using the excuse of a bad of a bad summer and bad weather and farmers having to being forced to sell stock because of tight supplies and bad weather so I think people have been profiting on the back of that um, the other things that are into the future that people are concerned about is the whole environmental thing aspects. How are we going to be treated with carbon credits? How are we going to be treated um, with emission targets? Um, the nature restoration law has with a lot of work put into that over the last 12 months but it hasn't gone away yet. So all these things are concerns that we as IFA are fighting for on behalf of farmers and to make sure that we keep an eye on them all. The weather, obviously, you mentioned there, yeah, um, Pat, you know, the weather, obviously, with, with straw and all that, and we see, you know, the, the likes of the farmers in the Shannon Callows, there's, you know, they they had a terrible year. We, you know, there's talks of maybe fodder support schemes uh, happening there. There is, yeah. By all accounts, I think there's a memo going to Cabinet today. That's a step in the right direction because farmers across the, the Shannon Callows lost somewhere between fifty to 70,000 bales of silage can't afford to do without that on any given year never mind in a year of tight supplies like we are at the minute so the figures that I'm hearing look at we'll, we'll wait to see are they, are they correct but 
if they are, there'll be a, a, a step in the right direction for farmers to try and maybe be able to buy back some fodder or substitute it in. It's, it's no substitute for a fine year. It's no substitute for having it right and the heartache the farmers have gone through. But it's it's an acknowledgement at the same time that that farmers suffered serious, serious losses on the callows this year. And it's a step in the right direction. But for other tillage farmers too, like we have to go after something better than what was announced there about a month ago, which was equivalent to something like five euros a ton on grain last as farmers tell me, it wouldn't even buy the, wouldn't even buy diesel to cut an acre, an acre of ground. So there's an acknowledgement there that the weather has has huge impacts, and we must make sure that farmers have got something back out of it that make a difference and try and pay help pay a couple of bills somewhere along the line. Pat, you've obviously had a very busy couple of weeks or months, I suppose, um, preparing for this and debates and hustings and that. You know, probably a question that you will get asked, why should farmers vote for Pat Murphy to be Deputy President of the IFA? Well, Pat Murphy is a family man, as I said earlier on, um, having three children in, sec- in third-level college down in Limerick. I have a, a unique advantage or an acknowledgement. We know what families are going through. As a full-time farmer... Depending on farming, I have that stone in the shoe that an awful lot of farmers have across the country um, of trying to pay the bills, trying to make ends meet. I know what farmers are going through. I'm facing it every day myself. So those are just two aspects. Other aspects would be you know, the experience that I bring to the role. I'm Of the four candidates that's going for election, I'm the one that's been on National Council the longest. I've, been, I've spent 12 years now in National Council as well as, as council rep, Dennis County Chair, and more recently as Connacht Chair. So I have that experience to bring to the game of representing farmers um, over a long period of time. And uh, I would like to continue to do that and to keep representing farm families. But I want to be a voice for the farm family unit as well because you know that's what we are here at home. And when I went around to the hostings, when I go around meeting people, that's what I'm meeting. I'm meeting people who are representing their own families who are all family farm units and I want to be a voice for that for those farmers Maybe Stephen back to yourself as county chair how have the uh, the hustings gone maybe um, Stephen or maybe what are your views on this? I don't know look at um, Pat's been busy I've been busy as well I've attended most of the the hustings I think there was 16 across the country and and myself and some of the county officers and and supporters of Pat have, have tried to so a large attendance of all of these, you know, it wasn't that easy, but look, we have that part of it done. Um, how did the hostings go? I, in my opinion, Pat certainly gave as good as he got, and maybe a little better at all of them, do you know? Whether we can turn that into enough votes for him is, is another thing, do you know? Um, look at it from a global perspective. Look at it. Uh, we're, we're, we're in a very privileged position now that, first of all, that we have someone of the calibre of Pat Murphy running for a national position and someone that is prepared to take it on. It's not everybody that is prepared to give it the time. Like, you're not going to get rich over with the job or you're not going to, get, you know, make anything outward. And it's all for the job satisfaction and, and I suppose, to try and give something back to the farmers and try and put your neighbours and friends and your people in a, in a better position because of your, your involvement in the association. So, 
that's kind of how the hustings are going. We're 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 halfway there and and hoping to finish out the job. You know. Very good. Uh, Pat, is it difficult, I suppose, you know, it's a question that might be asked sometimes at, at, at the hostings and that for one organisation maybe to service so many sectors? Uh, so people can often throw the thing at us that we're, we're trying to be all things to all people. Um, we represent 70,000 members. I think by and large, we do that very, very well. By, by being a strong organisation and a large organisation that represents all members, um, yes, it can be difficult sometimes to be to suit everyone. And the old saying, you can pe- you can please some of the people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all of the time. But our motto is to try and get as good as we can for our members, whether it is on the, the flooding that we mentioned earlier on, whether it is on the the tillage aspects that we mentioned that we also mentioned, or whether it is lobbying for the budget to try and help our members to get things from government, from Europe, to make sure that we can get as good as we can. And it's our strength and it's our size that helps us to make sure that we have a presence, especially in Europe. So that's where all the decisions have been taken. That's where all the policy has been taken. So it's important that we have a presence out there. And it's because of the amount of members that we have and hopefully that they'll keep supporting us to make sure that we can keep that presence, we can keep that strength of presence in Brussels, and that when we send over someone, it's farmers that we send over, uh, fighting and debating for farmers and lobbying for farmers. And I think that's the strength of our organisation. Okay, sometimes people might say, it can't be all things everyone, but I think that the strength helps us in that regard, as we can, affo- we can afford to... Uh, to be there and have a presence where the real decisions are taken. Uh, Pat Murphy and Stephen Canavan uh, from Galway IFA. Um, Pat, uh, the very best luck in your um, in going for the the deputy president at IFA. We wish you the best luck and uh, thanks very thanks much, very uh, much Stephen, for coming on. Also, we're delighted to have Emer McCrum. Emer, you're working with Chagas in the pig sector, and you also organised a, a big pink pig conference recently. You might tell us maybe a little bit about that. Yes. Good evening, Keith, and to your listeners, and thank you very much for having me on. So, as you said, I'm a pig advisor based in Ballyhays in County Cavan. So, just a little bit about maybe the Chagas Pig Department. There are six advisors in total located around the country. And together with my colleague, Louise Clark, we cover an area comprising seven counties, stretching from the Midlands northwards. So, my role primarily invo- involves working directly with farmers to assist them in the management, development, and sometimes growth of their business. So, we provide services such as farm visits, herd performance monitoring, facilitation of discussion groups, consultations on various aspects of pig farming and in the dissemination of information to the industry as well via monthly newsletters and our pig conference, which I'll talk about in just a moment. Uh, One of the most effective tools, I suppose, that we have at our disposal is the Chagas Profit Monitor. And this allows us to monitor individual herd performance. So this really forms the basis of the advice and the support we then provide to farmers as it's a real-time snapshot of how the farm is performing. So we do this on a quarterly basis. So every 13 weeks we produce a report and this is very useful in monitoring the physical and financial performance of a farm. And we can also get a glimpse into trends then across the country in terms of growth rates, sow output and so on. So that's really an important part of my role is involved in the preparation of the Profit Monitor reports. And another very important part, which I should mention, is in education as well. I'd be involved in the delivery of 
pig-specific education to our courses for those currently working on farm or within the wider industry or even to those who would like a career in the pig industry. So we recently completed a Level 5 course and we have our new Level 6 Apprenticeship Farm Technician course hopefully starting in December of this year. And in addition to that, because I'm based here in Ballyhays Agricultural College, we also deliver pig content to the various agricultural programmes that are delivered here in the college and also in conjunction with Dundalk Institute of Technology. So no two days are ever the same, always kept, kept busy. And in terms of our conference then, you mentioned, Keith, yes, we had our pig conference last week and that was held over two locations, one in Cavan and one in Tipperary. And this now for many years has been pretty much an annual event in the industry calendar with the exception of the two years of COVID where we went virtual. But we were delighted to welcome over 200 attendees over the two days to the event. And as usual, I suppose our programme consisted of a nice mix between the dissemination of information and research results from ongoing trials, both on commercial farms and on our own research farm in Moorpark in County Cork, as well as general information relating to current issues and updated management practices within the pig industry. So the conference itself then featured presentations by our own Chagas PDD advisors and researchers and staff, in addition to invited guest speakers. And that's generally the makeup of our conference every year. So just to maybe give you a little bit of a flavour of what was involved and what was discussed at the event. So from our own team then, um, we had Ashing Holmes and Kieran Keane based in Moorpark. They discussed tra- strategies to improve farming room feeding in terms of both the sow and the piglets. We had Louise Clark, my colleague based here in Ballyhays, who brought us through various steps to optimise post-weaning feed intake. And we had Laura Boyle and Keelan O'Driscoll discussing how farmers can enhance sow welfare and the impact of those changes on sow and piglet performance. And last of the internal speakers then was my colleague Jeremy Cutchin, Michael McKeown and myself. We presented a paper looking at Irish feed costs compared to that of our European contemporaries, especially the Spanish and the Dutch. And really the take-home message there was around feed conversion efficiency as well. And then we had... Two of our guest speakers, Francesc Ilias from Spain. So he is the technical director and head of production of a company that manages 30,000 sows from genetics to final product. So it was a fantastic insight into just the sheer scale of the Spanish industry and also some of the current challenges they're dealing with there. So plenty of food for thought from Francesc's presentation. And next we had Johannes Volkus from Finland and he's a senior pig production advisor with HK Scan a Scandinavian food company and Jan gave us an overview of the Finnish industry with a particular emphasis on different welfare regulations that exist in the country and how both farmers and the wider industry have responded to and successfully managed these welfare regulations. And finally then we heard from Des Rice. Des is a business coach and psychotherapist who provides coaching and mentoring services on behaviour and stress management. So this is a little bit different, a new departure for our conference. It's not a topic we've dealt with previously. However, given the extremely difficult 18 months that producers experienced, it was very timely to have Des join us and he discussed a number of useful strategies on staying calm in difficult circumstances. And I think his talk certainly resonated with many attendees. So all in another informative conference and work has already begun on preparing for next year. I should just mention as well, Keith, that the proceedings from the day are available online now on the Chagas Pig webpage. Okay, very good. Obviously, mental health as well is obviously very important in in all sectors of agriculture, especially when you're you're dealing with such volatile markets and prices and fluctuations as well, Emer. Absolutely. It was 
I suppose in, in 18 months that many pig producers would never, ever like to revisit. I might talk about it in just a moment, but uh, we just felt it was something... We had done a podcast looking at that area before and we got very positive feedback from it. And we decided Des is very good. He has a veterinary background. He's very practical. And the strategies he discussed of just how to deal with stress... He delivered it in a very engaging way and I think it did resonate with farmers. We got very, very positive feedback after it. So I think a lot of people have gone away with little take-homes to bring with them, as you say, all to do with improving their mental health. Okay, very good, very good. You also mentioned as well you you, you worked on your own paper there talking a little about FCR, food conversion ratio, um, and indeed uh, the fluctuation in pig prices uh, throughout Europe. You might tell us maybe a little bit more on that and maybe, you know, for any listener that's unaware or or doesn't understand, what is uh, FCR? Yes, so feed conversion ratio, also called FCE, feed conversion efficiency, it's essentially how efficient an animal is at converting a kilo of intake or a kilo of feed into a kilo of gain. So pigs are very efficient animals in terms of converting that meal into gain. Second only to broilers, they have still pipped us and continue to do so to the post on that metric. But our National Pig Herd Performance Report, this indicates that on average in Ireland, our pigs are converting at a rate of 2.45 to 1 from weaning to sale. So what that means is a pig from weaning at 7 kilos up to sale at 118 kilos live weight the pig requires 2.45 kilos of intake for every kilo of that gain. So just to be aware, I suppose, to give you a little bit more background on, on feed conversion, it's something that deteriorates with age as that animal begins to lay down more fat. So we can see that in our national figures. If you take our weaners up to 38 kilos live weight, they'll convert at a rate of 1.85 to 1, which is super efficient. But then the finishers from 38 kilos to 118 kilos live weight they are converting on average at a rate of 2.7 to 1. So still an excellent figure, but you can see that deterioration as the pig continues through its life cycle. So just, I suppose, it's important to point out as well, it is something that can vary between farms depending on a range of factors. So different factors that influence this were genetics, housing, the health status of the farm, sow output, the incorporation of byproducts, kill out and so on. So there's a lot of variable factors that can contribute to it. But I suppose just to show you the range that exists there, the top 10% of farms, for instance, in Ireland have a weaning to sales fee conversion of 2.25 versus the national average of 2.45. So that doesn't sound like much, but for a 500 south farm, the difference there represents an annual saving of over €100,000. So it's a KPI that's very, very closely linked to financial performance and one we do pay particular attention to. It's something that's been measured for decades at this stage, so we do have plenty of data to indicate our progress in this area. You know, if you compare it, it's it's a hell of a lot more variable for the like of perhaps your your beef animals there where you've got cattle out of grass and then they're housed for winter on a forage diet and maybe the extent of meal incorporated into the diet. It can be more difficult to establish an accurate figure there, but pigs are fed an exclusively grain-based diet in an indoor system. So it is easier to measure and it's something we keep a close eye on. And this is partly because here in Ireland we are heavily reliant on imported feedstuffs. So as an island nation then naturally we incur additional transport costs to get the grain to ourselves here, to the mills and then out to farms. So we do need to carefully monitor how efficient our animals are at utilising this feed. 
Okay, very good. Yeah, it's phenomenal, really, when you think about the the feed efficiency of the pigs compared to maybe other animals, as you mentioned. Their cattle, like you're looking at, maybe weanlings, U grade weanlings, uh, six to one, so they're eating six kilos to put on one. Whereas you might have a plainer finishing uh, Frisian bullock that might take twelve kilos to put on one kilo. Whereas the pig uh, can put on two point two five for the where you said there for the top ten percent. That's it, 2.25 kilos of intake for every kilo of gain. So it's super efficient and it is probably something that, you know, as, as we talk about, I suppose, feeding grain to livestock and the environmental impact of what we're doing, that is a KPI that will be important in improving the carbon footprinting of pygmy production going forward. Okay. And how many pigs are produced, we'll say, from sows? I know obviously there'll probably be a big range there from the top 10% or whatever, but uh, maybe roughly how many um, piglets per sow are produced in Ireland, uh, uh, roughly, um, Emer? And maybe you might explain the gestation length of the pig. Yes, sure. So in Ireland, our national born alive, I suppose, to start, the very start, is 14.81 piglets per litre. So that's a calculated figure. There isn't 0.81 of a piglet in the litter, if you like, but that is our, our national average. Generally, our litter sizes vary from about 13 pigs born right up to 17, 18 in some cases, but our average there sits just below 15. So it has it is something that has increased in recent years. It's something that we constantly see an improvement on is the number of piglets born alive. And then if you take it, I suppose our sows are on average, producing 2.27 litres in a year. Again, it's a calculated figure. But to do the maths on that, after mortality, each sow is producing 27.4 pigs per year. So that's 27.4 pigs that are sold and produced on farm per sow per year. So you can see, if you're doing the maths on maybe an average five, 600 sow unit, it's a lot of pigs coming through. Um, the old rule of thumb then in terms of gestation length is roughly 115 days. It was always easily remembered by three months, three weeks and three days. But with modern genetics and the increasing litter size as well, many farmers are noticing that the average gestation on their unit is increasing and has increased by maybe a day or two in recent years. And just to go back to, I suppose, that 27.4 pigs produced, you know, most farms in this country operate a weekly cycle. So unlike other enterprises where you might have seasonal events in the calendar, such as your breeding and then your calving or your lambing, that's going on every week on an Irish pig farm. So essentially there's the, the annual calendar of events every week. So we have sows giving birth to piglets, maiden gills are introduced to the herd, pigs are sold to the factory. All of those events are happening every week. So it's a weekly cycle on a pig farm. Okay, yeah, just as you mentioned there, a so a 500 sow farm uh, has the potential to produce over 13,000 pigs a year. That's correct, yes. Wow, yes. it's pheno That's phenomenal figures. Mm. It is phenomenal output from the sows as well and something that has increased year on year. So if you compare us to some of our European contemporaries, there are some countries that are up, well up over 30, 34, even 36 pigs produced. But that does require it's a very very high input system there we're already high enough probably as it is and um, so our 27.4 it's a very respectable figure and um, by comparison when we do compare across europe it's still a very strong figure okay and you mentioned there you know obviously the the feed and the energy is a massive cost on pig farms i suppose how are the margins at the minute Emer? yes so you mentioned their feed and energy costs they have thankfully gradually reduced since the start of the year and this has come as a huge relief to producers. Now with that said, however, feed and energy costs, they do remain expensive and well above levels previously experienced. So if you take feed for instance there, it is our largest input. It represents 70% of the total cost of producing a pig. So although feed prices 
have reduced last month, the current fee cost we have is 17% higher relative to autumn 2021. And it's really nowhere near where it was before. So when you take such a large percentage of your costs, going through such increases and, and volatility in the last 18 months, it's been very difficult to manage that. And even that 17% increase there, really the current situation now, it belies the massive increases in fee prices witnessed in spring of last year. So that really was the eye of the storm in that lead up to an eventual outbreak of war in Ukraine. At one point, there was even a negative margin over feed. So in other words, there was a point in March 2022 where the pig price received was not sufficient to cover the fee cost alone, not to mind any of the different non-fee costs, such as healthcare, labour, heat, power and light, slurry and so on and so forth. So that was a particularly dark day and it was really not something the industry had ever really witnessed before. So those record high input prices and that more sluggish and slow to recover pig price, it caused a persistent profitability gap. And that led to the average family farm in Ireland incurring losses of €585,000 in that 18-month period of losses. So very stark figures. Now, thankfully, pig prices have improved since then, and there has been profitability in the sector for the last number of months. Now, unfortunately, at present, it's under a little bit of pressure. It's getting squeezed a touch there as pig prices have reduced in recent weeks. And current prices are in that sort of early 220 cents per kilo at the moment. But really, the most critical factor is that €585,000 of losses, in order to recoup that, really and truly profitability in the sector needs to continue until July of next year at a minimum. Okay, well, there's the stark figures there when you put it like that. And maybe just to, to mention a little bit on carcass weights there, you mentioned that a lot of the pigs get finished at about 118 kilos. What uh, kilo percentage or carcass weights are, would you expect from a pig at 118 kilos? Yeah, so generally pigs will kill out on average at about 76.5 up to 77%. So your 118 kilos live weight pig will yield just over 90 kilos dead weight or carcass weight then of saleable meat. So producers then are paid on a dead weight basis. And as a result then, all of our other costs are expressed likewise on a cent per kilo dead weight basis. And that's part of the function behind our Chagas Profit Monitor. So it takes your raw data in terms of costs and it divides that then over your carcass weight. So everything is expressed on that cent per kilo dead weight. Um, pigs then, slightly different to other enterprises, they're tattooed on the shoulder prior to leaving the farm, just before loading up onto the lorry. That's in lieu of a stock tag, and that's essentially how carcasses then are later identified in the factory. So with your 118 kilos live weight and your 76 and a half percent of a kill out, your average carcass at present is worth in the region of 200 euro per head. That's roughly what a pig is um, coming to in monetary terms in the factory at the moment. Okay, very interesting. And maybe a little bit on deficiencies or mineral, mineral supplementation. What uh, maybe are pigs um, injected with or what issues are you seeing there in relation to minerals and vitamins? Yes, so I suppose first and foremost, pigs are born anemic. So straight away, there's a requirement for supplementation there. And that is given via an iron injection in the farren house, which is typically given to pigs when they're about three days of age. If outdoor, in outdoor situations, pigs would get this iron from the soil, but in indoor situations, the iron injection suffices. And really then after this, all other mineral supplementation is delivered via the feed. So massive amounts of research have gone into establishing what the needs of the pig is at different ages and weights, and the feed then is adjusted in line with those requirements. 
So if you take it, the pig goes through many different phases of diets, if you like, starting on a starter or a creep diet in the farring house right up to a finisher diet towards the end. And each of those diets are specifically formulated in order to meet all of the mineral and vitamin requirements of that animal. So the vitamins, minerals and any other dietary additives that a farmer might be utilising, they're added to the diet via a premix. And this essentially provides supplementary levels of all the major minerals and vitamins required by the pigs depending on their age and stage. So it's really, you will have a couple of injections like a vitamin E on hand if you, if you are seeing deficiencies in your animals. But by and large, the feed tailors for each um, and all of those nutrient requirements, particularly those micronutrients that are needed by the pigs at various stages. Very good. Emer. you're a wealth of knowledge and uh, thanks very much for coming on Country Life. Um, I think our listeners will have learned an awful lot there about the pig industry and uh, so we'd like to thank you for coming on Country Life. Not at all, Keith. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. As weather continues to deteriorate, we see a lot more cattle being housed in sheds and cattle being taken off, taken off the land, especially heavier cattle where there might be a lot of poaching done. So farmers need to be very careful, I suppose, when putting cattle in sheds. That they're, ideally, they're not putting them in wet. Uh, cattle are clipped, tails are clipped and backs are clipped to reduce the amount of sweating in sheds which will reduce the amount of pneumonia and make sure you consultate your vet in relation to vaccination programs and that for younger cattle or cattle that may be more at risk uh, to the pneumonia and other diseases Um, you know looking at things like silage sampling uh, dung sampling as well to see uh, the worm burden of your cattle as well is obviously very important there's a massive variety variation I mean in relation to silage uh, sample results but you know some people um, may wonder what do you look at uh, when you look at your silage sample so there's a number of different things a lot of different areas there and places indeed where you can get your sample taken so firstly I suppose taking the sample why should you take the sample uh, firstly I suppose you'll know uh, the, the pH of it you'll know the, the, the nutrient value of it the DMD um, the amount of protein in the diet and you'll identify then how much you need to supplement uh, the, the cattle in relation to how much meal they need and what type of a nut they need if you have very low protein silage maybe you should be feeding a 16 or 18 percent nut uh, versus maybe if you have a high very good quality silage there and maybe 17 18 19 percent uh, you might get away with a, a cheaper or a lower protein nut which obviously will be a lot cheaper than a higher protein nut so it all uh, makes sense so that farmers know exactly what they're feeding to ensure that their, their cattle are you know achieving at least 0. 0.6 0. 0.7 of a kilo across the winter there for the growth period obviously finishing cattle you'll be looking at 1.2 to 2 kilos there depending on, on the breed of the animal and that. Uh, so looking at the pH, the pH I suppose is a measure of the feed's acidity, so the pH you know, we look at the alkalinity and the acidity. Um, pH is of silage, should be slightly acidic between 3.8 and 4.2 uh, this threshold represents I suppose a silage that is well preserved uh, and will be slow uh, to spoil silage with a pH of less than 3.5 can lead to acidosis and in other areas that can lead to acidosis maybe feeding a lot of barley or uh, very um, uh, or meal that is very starch, very starchy and they can be very quickly broken down in the room and so it's very important that the pH of your silage isn't too low. The dry matter is also very important so basically what is dry matter? The dry matter is the material remaining when all the water has been removed. Uh, wet silage is of less than 20% 
are difficult to preserve with uh, and will undergo a lot of effluent losses as well. Uh, the crude protein is a very important one. It's a traditional measure of protein content based on the nitrogen uh, concentration values in excess of 15% indicates a very good quality leafy crop as well. That's also very important. DMD is the feeding value of the silage expressed as a percentage and the ME is the metabolizable energy of the value of the silage. UFL then and PDI are also very important. The UFL or UFV, um, these are unassigned, sorry, these are units um, of energy uh, that's obviously recorded net energy values are more accurate than ME values as they represent an energy available to the animal for maintenance and production UFL is used for lactating uh, animals there and an average daily gain of less than one, ki- 1 kilo per day and UFV is for finishing animals and the average daily gain obviously over 1 kilo per day so we're getting asked a bit there maybe we got a couple of calls in last week there in relation to you know what should farmers be feeding with along with their silage um, and just said I'd cover a little bit there you know a lot of farmers are feeding there's a lot of different feed companies out there a lot of different rations uh, nuts pellets uh, cubed um, rolled barley etc there's an awful lot of different varieties and some uh, co-ops and some uh, feed merchants alone could have 20 different uh, types of feeds themselves uh, uh, available so that's obviously you know there, there's a huge variation there if we look at rolled barley I suppose barley is I suppose is the most common energy uh, of the feeds offered to livestock globally as we see um, it is you know I suppose seen internationally as the standard in the ruminant nutrition and forms the basis of the UFL which is obviously the French evaluation system there for feed uh, maize meal is obviously used in uh, maize grains are finely ground to a powder like consistency and where uh, farmers will be feeding a high amount of maize would be in a finishing ration so I suppose care should be taken there that you're not feeding a finishing ration to young growing um, uh, weanlings or livestock there as, be- uh, as they can become over fat and usually when you're feeding a high percentage of maize and it has maize is quite low in protein there so if you have a lot of maize in the in the finishing nut or ration it can be down as low as maybe 10 or 12 percent to 10 to 14 percent depending on, on on the level of protein in that diet um if and if the protein is too low there the animal won't develop a frame so it's very important maybe that farmers you know aren't giving a finishing ration to younger stock as they might become stunted maybe and become fat too young um you know there's different you've rolled wheat, oats, you have soya hulls, you have fodder beet, fodder beet pulp as well. There's a number of different varieties there uh, in relation to what is in meal feeding. And looking at the maybe the protein ingredients then, so what makes up the protein in a ration, there's a number of different ones. I suppose soya bean meal is probably one of the best quality and important sources of protein for the world's livestock um, you know, production. Uh, it's, it's probably the most protein-rich feed of them all. It's uh, at 46 to 48% there as well. You have also maize distillers, wheat distillers, you have palm kernel, rapeseed meal, the likes of adding urea, peas and beans also um, uh, increase the protein of that but some proteins can be a lot lower quality proteins than others if we look at maybe the likes of sunflower meal versus soya bean meal, why they do make up the, they can make up a higher protein ration, it must be remembered that soya bean meal probably is the, is the best but it is quite expensive so we often see a different variation of uh, proteins in meals depending on what is available nationally and indeed worldwide at the time of making a ration. Other ingredients we might see in in, um, in rations or nuts is uh, rumen buffers. Uh, I suppose they're an alkaline-based compounds and they obviously prevent uh, acidosis there. So when feeding high inclusions of meal or ration, we'll say over six to seven, eight kilos of meal uh, per day, maybe it needs to be very, you need to be very cautious there that the animals don't get acidosis, especially where maybe the silage might be on the lower side there with the pH as well. 
and feeding that along with a very high barley based uh, ration can indeed cause a lot of acidosis and this can be seen where maybe animals are scouring and they can become a little bit lame or tender on their feet as well. Uh, yeasts are also added to promote the favourable rumen environment and prevent the accumulation of harmful acids as well. Minerals are also very important as well. A lot of farmers maybe have mineral buckets out. They might be given boluses or they can maybe be given mineral drenches there to animals. And just looking at maybe the different um, deficiencies maybe. A deficiency in calcium can cause milk fever or brittle bones. If we see a reduction or a deficiency in phosphorus can cause reduced growth, efficiency, appetite, um, a reduction in milk production, fragile bones, impaired production, uh, reproduction as well. And sometimes as well, uh, a symptom of low um, phosphorus can be seen where animals develop a pica uh, condition whereby they might be licking stones or chewing stones. So this really shows where the animals are low on phosphorus. Magnesium can cause grass tetany sodium, uh, so salt basically, Na, um, uh, reduced feed intake, weight gain, reduced milk production. Copper can be a big one, can cause anemia, reduced growth, depigmentation. So often you'd see cattle that might go brown uh, and their coat rough hair. It uh, can cause cardiac failure, diarrhea, or depressed estrus or fragile bone. Selenium is also another one caused by white muscle disease, which can be more common in, in very muscly type uh, cattle and sheep. Iodine can cause thyroid enlargement or goiters and weak or dead uh, or hairless calves. Uh, poor semen quality, poor reproductive performance in cows. Zinc is also quite very is, is very important and can cause reduced growth or feed intake and listlessness as well, obviously as well. Cobalt then can cause decreased appetite and failure to grow or slow calves and vitamin E is also very important there for calving fertility problems and reduce stiff or weak calves. So vitamin E can also go hand in hand with selenium as well there where maybe certain breeds of lambs or cattle are very um, muscly. So that's it this week from Country Life. We hope you enjoyed the show and if there are any queries about this week's topics just give me an email there at countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie So for me Keith Fahey thanks very much for listening to Country Life. Next up is uh, Melodies uh, with Valerie Hughes and we're delighted to have Valerie uh, up next there So and the best luck to her and indeed uh, the night followed by the night fly with Donald Mahan.